Hey there, guys, and welcome back to the Washington University Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast, January 2018. I'm a couple of months behind as usual, but I'm here today with a great topic because we are going to talk about amiodarone. That's right, everybody's favorite antiarrhythmic. We give it for just about everything these days. Might as well put it in the water like a vitamin. I remember as a resident, there was a big push to switch from giving lidocaine in cardiac arrest for refractory V-fib and VTAC and instead to give amiodarone. It became the go-to drug. Pretty easily dosed, usually readily available. It's usually what's given by EMS nowadays, what we give in the ER. It's also frequently used in several other situations where you need a good antidysrhythmic, notably atrial fibrillation and stable VTAC. The problem is when you give amiodarone IV, which is typically what we're doing in the emergency department, there are several notable adverse effects that we have to be worried about. Uh, Heart block and bradycardia occur in about 5% of people getting IV amiodarone, and hypotension occurs in about 16%. So about one in six patients getting IV amiodarone will get hypotensive. So the question I had was, when you compare amiodarone to our other antidysrhythmic options, lidocaine, procainamide, is it really any better? And for patients in cardiac arrest due to refractory VFib and VTAC, where so many other things have been proven not to be very helpful, including epinephrine, does amiodarone really do any good, or is it any better than placebo? So we looked at four different articles addressing these different situations, and let me tell you what we found. The first thing we looked at was stable VTAC. And this study, the Procamio study, was randomized comparison of intravenous procainamide versus intravenous amiodarone for the acute treatment of tolerated wide QRS tachycardia. This was in the European Heart Journal in May of 2017. This was a prospective, multicenter, randomized, open-label trial conducted at 29 hospitals in Spain over a six-year period. They enrolled hemodynamically stable patients with a wide QRS complex tachycardia who were then randomized to receive either IV procainamide, 10 mg per kg over 20 minutes, or IV amiodarone, 5 mg per kg over 20 minutes. They then looked to see whose rhythm terminated and also looked at major cardiac adverse events, which included signs of peripheral hypoperfusion, dyspnea or orthopnea, severe hypotension, systolic less than 70, or acceleration of the heart rate by more than 20 beats per minute of its mean value. They only enrolled 74 patients. This was a fairly small study. And they only enrolled patients from 16 of the 29 participating hospitals, which was a bit strange. After excluding 12 patients, they only had 62 patients in the final analysis. 33 of these were randomized to receive procainamide, and 29 were randomized to receive amiodarone. So, obviously a very small study. But they found that major cardiac events were far less common among patients treated with procainamide compared to those treated with amiodarone. 9% versus 41%, so an odds ratio of 0.1% with a 95% confidence interval of 0.03 to 0.6. The most common adverse event was hypotension. And those patients ended up requiring immediate electrical cardioversion. Termination of the VTAC also occurred more frequently in patients receiving procainamide, 67% versus 38% for an odds ratio of 3.3. So this wasn't the best study. Uh, It was open label, not the end of the world. Also, they only enrolled about a fifth of the number of planned patients um, and had to stop early 
due to their low and declining enrollment. As I said, they only enrolled patients from 16 of the 29 participating centers. You've got to worry about a little bit of selection bias when something like that happens. Having said that, a study pretty clearly shows that adverse events occur far less frequently with procainamide versus amiodarone, and termination of the VTAC occurs more frequently with procainamide than amiodarone when given for stable VTAC. It's one study, not great evidence, but I'm probably going to switch to procainamide for my stable VTAC patients. Next, we found an article looking at amiodarone in the use of recent onset atrial fibrillation. This study was called Amiodarone versus Placebo and Class 1C Drugs for Cardioversion of Recent Onset Atrial Fibrillation, a meta-analysis. So these guys sought to identify prospective randomized controlled trials in which amiodarone was compared to placebo or to a Class 1C drug for the conversion of recent onset AFib to find his AFib occurring less than one week before. Now, for those who can't remember what the Class 1C antiarrhythmics are, and that includes me, they are typically flecainide, propafenone, and morisazine. And quite frankly, I don't think I've given any of those during my career. But still, that's what this study looked at. They ended up with 10 total studies in their analysis. Six of these compared amiodarone to placebo with 595 total patients, and seven of them showed some comparison of amiodarone with a class 1C drug with 807 patients. Obviously, there was some overlap in three of the studies which compared amiodarone with both placebo and class 1C drugs. The outcome they looked at was cardioversion, and they looked at it at different time frames depending on what information was available in the studies. When they compared amiodarone to placebo, they found that at one to two hours after initiation of the infusion, there was no difference in the rate of cardioversion. Relative risk was 1.23, and the 95% confidence interval crossed 1. At 6 to 8 hours, there was a slight improvement with amiodarone in the rate of cardioversion. Again, a relative risk of 1.23, but here the 95% confidence interval went from 1.03 to 1.47. This improved somewhat by 24 hours, where the relative risk was 1.44 in favor of amiodarone, and a 95% confidence interval from 1.24 to 1.66. Now, when comparing class 1C drugs to amiodarone, there was a significant benefit from the class 1C drugs early on. At 1 to 2 hours, the relative risk was 0.35. At 3 to 5 hours, the relative risk was 0.44. And at 6 to 8 hours, the relative risk was 0.57. The 95% confidence intervals for those values did not cross 1. So early on in the infusion, class 1C drugs resulted in a much higher rate of cardioversion than amiodarone. When they looked at this out to 24 hours, there was really no difference. The relative risk was 0.95. The 95% confidence interval ranged from 0.83 to 1.09. Now, in the U.S., we don't typically try to cardiovert recent onset AFib in the ER, but in some places they do. In Canada, this is very popular. We'll talk about a study looking at that in a minute. The point here is that if you want to cardiovert someone with recent onset AFib, say less than 48 hours in onset, giving amiodarone means you have to wait a while. Again, six to eight hours before you see any benefit from amiodarone compared to placebo. On the other hand, class 1C drugs seem to provide pretty rapid cardioversion. At one to two hours, it was three times more likely to cardiovert with class 1C drug than it was with amiodarone. Now, as I said, I don't typically give these class 1C drugs. I don't think I ever have. But fortunately, procainamide, which I do tend to give, has been shown to be very efficacious in this situation. As I mentioned, cardioversion of recent onset AFib is often attempted in other countries, particularly in Canada, where they have looked at this in several studies, the most prominent of which is the association of the Ottawa Aggressive Protocol with rapid discharge of emergency department patients 
with recent onset atrial fibrillation or flutter. The lead author on this was the famous Ian Steele. What this Ottawa-aggressive protocol entails is giving everyone with stable A-flutter or A-fib with an onset less than 48 hours a dose of procainamide and then seeing if they convert. And if they don't convert, then electrically cardioverting them and then sending them home. And what they found is that they get successful chemical cardioversion with procainamide about 60% of the time. And it happens pretty quickly. The median time from the initiation of the procainamide to cardioversion was about an hour. That's pretty fast. Given that in this meta-analysis, amiodarone didn't convert patients any better than placebo at one to two hours, uh, I'm not going to reach for amiodarone for these patients. I'm much more likely to reach for procainamide. So next, we decided to look at the use of amiodarone for refractory V-fib, VTAC, and cardiac arrest. We found two articles that were very closely related that looked at this. The first of these was Resuscitation Outcomes Consortium Investigators Amiodarone, Lidocaine, or Placebo in Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest from the New England Journal of Medicine, May of 2016. This was a multi-center, randomized, blinded controlled trial conducted at 55 emergency medical services in 10 North American sites. They enrolled adults with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and shock refractory V-fib or pulseless VTAC and randomized them in one-to-one-to-one fashion to receive amiodarone, lidocaine, or normal saline. Now, this study specifically only looked at patients in whom V-fib or VTAC was the initial rhythm and excluded those in whom it was not the initial rhythm. We'll see in a minute that they did a secondary analysis looking at only those patients and published it in a separate paper. Of note here, they also excluded patients who were enrolled but didn't receive the study drug. So this was not an intention to treat analysis. It was a per-protocol analysis. They ended up with 3,026 patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with an initial rhythm of pulseless VTAC or VFib that was refractory to electrical cardioversion. 974 of those received amiodarone, 993 received lidocaine, and 1,059 received placebo. For their primary outcome of survival to hospital discharge, there was no difference between the groups. It occurred in about 24.4% of patients getting amio, 23.7% of patients receiving lidocaine, and 21% of patients receiving placebo. Comparing amiodarone to placebo, the absolute risk reduction was 3.2% with a 95% confidence interval from minus 0.4 to 7.0%. So it did not achieve statistical significance. Unfortunately, it was still a difference of almost 3%. That would be a number needed to treat of 30 to save one life by giving amiodarone. So despite the fact that this study did not achieve statistical significance for their result, it still concerns me a little bit and I'd still be reluctant to stop giving amiodarone based on the fact that I'm potentially saving one patient out of every 30. When comparing lidocaine versus placebo, they also found no significant difference, but an absolute risk reduction of 2.6% favoring lidocaine, with a 95% confidence interval from minus 1 to 6.3%. So again, a nearly 3% difference in survival. Despite the lack of statistical significance, I'm not willing to throw out giving antidistributives just yet. Comparing lidocaine to amiodarone, they found really no difference. An absolute risk reduction of 0.7% with a 95% confidence interval that did not cross one. So, for patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with an initial rhythm of V-fib or pulseless VTAC that is refractory to electrical cardioversion, I'm still going to give an antiarrhythmic. I don't think it matters if you give amiodarone or lidocaine, but I'd probably still give something. Now, as I said, these guys put out a second paper entitled Antiarrhythmic Drugs for Non-Shockable Turned Shockable Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest, 
and they published this in circulation in November of 2017. So this was that same group of patients they enrolled, but this time they only looked at patients who had an initial rhythm of asystole or PEA, who then converted to shock refractory VFib or pulseless VTAC. Now, understandably, survival in all three groups in this study was much lower than in the last study, looking at placebo, lidocaine, and amiodarone groups. Survival to hospital discharge only occurred in 1.9%, 3.1%, and 4.1% of patients, respectively. Again, no statistically significant difference, but as you can see, the difference between amiodarone and placebo was 2.2%. So here, a number needed to treat of 50 to save one life without any real downside. Again, I'm not willing to abandon amiodarone or lidocaine for these patients. I think as long as you give one or the other, there's not much of a difference. So I think what all of this evidence shows is that amiodarone is not quite the wonder drug that it was once made out to be. For patients with recent onset AFib, it's really no better early on, at least in the ED state, than placebo. If I'm going to give something, I'd rather give procainamide, which seems to have a much higher rate of cardioversion and does so much more quickly. For stable VTAC, uh, I think it's just too likely to cause the patients to become unstable and hence require electrical cardioversion, which is the one thing I'm trying to avoid by giving them the medication in the first place. So again, for stable VTAC, I'm going to give procainamide, which seems to be much safer. For out-of-hospital cardiac arrest due to refractory VFib or VTAC, whether it's the initial rhythm or not, I think amiodarone is perfectly fine. It doesn't seem to be that much better or any better than lidocaine. Maybe not any better than placebo based on the lack of statistical significance in the studies, but I'm not ready to completely abandon antiarrhythmics in this patient population just yet. I think you should give something. Whether it's amiodarone or lidocaine probably doesn't make a big difference. But again, there's no real downside in these people. If you do nothing, they're probably going to die. If you do something, maybe you increase their chances of survival by 2 or 3%, which is not insignificant. So that's all I've got this month. Thank you guys for listening in. Thank you for hearing me talk bad about amiodarone, which really isn't a bad drug. It's not the drug's fault. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, go to iTunes and subscribe to us. Check out our Facebook page, EMJ Club. Follow us on Twitter where we are at EMJ Club. Go to the website, emjclub.com. Leave a few comments, and I hope to see you guys back next time. <laughs>